Section 16 of Christian Science by Mark Twain. Read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 2, Chapter 7, Part 1. Her church was on its legs. She was its pastor. It was prospering. She was appointed one of a committee to draft bylaws for its government. It may be observed, without overplus of irreverence, that this was larks for her. She did all of the drafting herself. From the very beginning she was always in the front seat when there was business to be done, in the front seat with both eyes open and looking sharply out for number one, in the front seat working mortal mind with fine effectiveness and giving immortal mind a rest for Sunday. When her church was reorganized, by and by, the bylaws were retained. She saw to that. In these laws for the government of her church, her empire, her despotism, Mrs. Eddy's character is embalmed for good and all. I think a particularized examination of these church laws will be found interesting, and not the less so if we keep in mind that they were impelled by a power not one's own, as she says. It is a church without a creed. Still, it has one. Mrs. Eddy drafted it, and copyrighted it, in her own name. You cannot become a member of the Mother Church, nor of any Christian Science Church, without signing it. It forms the first chapter of the bylaws and is called Tenets. Tenets of the Mother Church, the first Church of Christ Scientist. It has no hell in it. It throws it overboard. The Pastor Emeritus About the time of the reorganization, Mrs. Eddy retired from her position of pastor of her church, abolished the office of pastor in all branch churches, and appointed her book, Science and Health, to be Pastor Universal. Mrs. Eddy did not disconnect herself from the office entirely when she retired, but appointed herself Pastor Emeritus. It is a misleading title, and belongs to the family of that phrase, without a creed. It advertises her as being a merely honorary official, with nothing to do and no authority. The Tsar of Russia is Emperor Emeritus on the same terms. Mrs. Eddy was autocrat of the church before, with limitless authority, and she kept her grip on that limitless authority when she took that fictitious title. It is curious and interesting to note with what an unerring instinct the pastor emeritus has thought out and forecast all possible encroachments upon her planned autocracy, and barred the way against them in the by-laws which she framed and copyrighted under the guidance of the Supreme Being. The Board of Directors. For instance, when Article One speaks of a President and Board of Directors, you think you have discovered a formidable check upon the powers and ambitions of the honorary pastor, the ornamental pastor, the functionless pastor, the pastor emeritus. But it is a mistake. These great officials are of the phrase family of the church without a creed, and the pastor with nothing to do, that is to say, of the family of large names which mean nothing. 
the board is of so little consequence that the by-laws do not state how it is chosen nor who does it but they do state most definitely that the board cannot fill a vacancy in its number except the candidate is approved by the pastor emeritus the candidate the board cannot even proceed to an election until the pastor emeritus has examined the list and squelched such candidates as are not satisfactory to her whether the original first board began as the personal property of mrs eddy or not it is foreseeable that in time under this by-law she would own it such a first board might chafe under such a rule as that and try to legislate it out of existence some day but mrs eddy was awake she foresaw that danger and added this ingenious and effective clause this by-law can neither be amended nor annulled except by consent of mrs eddy the pastor emeritus the president the board of directors or serfs or ciphers elects the president on these clearly worded terms subject to the approval of the pastor emeritus therefore she elects him a long term can invest a high official with influence and power and make him dangerous mrs eddy reflected upon that so she limits the president's term to a year she has a capable commercial head an organizing head a head for government treasurer and clerk there are a treasurer and a clerk they are elected by the board of directors that is to say by mrs eddy their terms of office expire on the first tuesday in june of each year or upon the election of their successors they must be watchfully obedient and satisfactory to her or she will elect and install their successors with a suddenness that can be unpleasant to them it goes without saying that the treasurer manages the treasury to suit mrs eddy and is in fact merely temporary deputy treasurer apparently the clerk has but two duties to perform to read messages from mrs eddy to first members assembled in solemn council and provide lists of candidates for church membership the select body entitled first members are the aristocracy of the mother church the charter members the aborigines a sort of stylish but unsalaried little college of cardinals good for show but not indispensable nobody is indispensable in mrs eddy's empire she sees to that when the pastor emeritus sends a letter or message to that little sanhedrin it is the clerk's imperative duty to read it at the place and time specified otherwise the world might come to an end these are fine large frills and remind us of the ways of emperors and such such do not use the penny post they send a gilded and painted special messenger and he strides into the parliament and business comes to a sudden and solemn and awful stop and in the impressive hush that follows the chief clerk reads the document it is his imperative duty if he should neglect it his official life would end it is the same with this mother church clerk if he fail to perform this important function of his office certain majestic and unshirkable solemnities must follow 
a special meeting shall be called a member of the church shall make formal complaint then the clerk shall be removed from office complaint is sufficient no trial is necessary there is something very sweet and juvenile and innocent and pretty about these little tinsel vanities these grave apings of monarchical fuss and feathers and ceremony here on our ostentatiously democratic soil she is the same lady that we found in the autobiography who was so naively vain of all that little ancestral military riffraff that she had dug up and annexed a person's nature never changes what it is in childhood it remains under pressure or a change of interest it can partially or wholly disappear from sight and for considerable stretches of time but nothing can ever permanently modify it nothing can ever remove it board of trustees there isn't any now but with power and money piling up higher and higher every day and the church's dominion spreading daily wider and farther a time could come when the envious and ambitious could start the idea that it would be wise and well to put a watch upon these assets a watch equipped with properly large authority by custom a board of trustees mrs eddy has foreseen that probability for she is a woman with a long long look ahead the longest look ahead that ever a woman had and she has provided for that emergency in article one section five she has decreed that no board of trustees shall ever exist in the mother church except it be constituted by the pastor emeritus the magnificence of it the daring of it thus far she is the massachusetts metaphysical college pastor emeritus president board of directors treasurer clerk and future board of trustees and is still moving onward ever onward when i contemplate her from a commercial point of view there are no words that can convey my admiration of her readers these are a feature of first importance in the church machinery of christian science for they occupy the pulpit they hold the place that the preacher holds in the other christian churches they hold that place but they do not preach two of them are on duty at a time a man and a woman one reads a passage from the bible the other reads the explanation of it from science and health and so they go on alternating this constitutes the service this with choir music they utter no word of their own article four section six closes their mouths with this uncompromising gag they shall make no remarks explanatory of the lesson sermon at any time during the service it seems a simple little thing one is not startled by it at a first reading of it nor at the second nor the third one may have to read it a dozen times before the whole magnitude of it rises before the mind it far and away oversizes and outclasses the best business idea yet invented for the safeguarding and perpetuating of a religion if it had been thought of and put in force eighteen hundred and seventy years ago there would be but one christian sect in the world now instead of ten dozens of them 
there are many varieties of men in the world consequently there are many varieties of minds in its pulpits this ensures many differing interpretations of important scripture texts and this in turn ensures the splitting up of a religion into many sects it is what has happened it was sure to happen mrs eddy has noted this disastrous result of preaching and has put up the bars she will have no preaching in her church she has explained all essential scriptures and set the explanations down in her book in her belief her underlings cannot improve upon those explanations and in that stern sentence they shall make no explanatory remarks she has barred them for all time from trying she will be obeyed there is no question about that in arranging her government she has borrowed ideas from various sources not poor ones but the best in the governmental market but this one is new this one came out of no ordinary business head this one must have come out of her own there has been no other commercial skull in a thousand centuries that was equal to it she has borrowed freely and wisely but i am sure that this idea is many times larger than all her borrowings bulk together one must respect the business brain that produced it the splendid pluck and impudence that ventured to promulgate it anyway election of readers readers are not taken at haphazard any more than preachers are taken at haphazard for the pulpits of other sects no readers are elected by the board of directors but section three the board shall inform the pastor emeritus of the names of candidates for readers before they are elected and if she objects to the nomination said candidates shall not be chosen is that an election by the board thus far i have not been able to find out what that board of specters is for it certainly has no real function no duty which the hired girl could not perform no office beyond the mere recording of the autocrat's decrees there are no dangerously long office terms in mrs eddy's government the readers are elected for but one year this ensures their subserviency to their proprietor readers are not allowed to copy out passages and read them from the manuscript in the pulpit they must read from mrs eddy's book itself she is right slight changes could be slyly made repeated and in time get acceptance with congregations branch sects could grow out of these practices mrs eddy knows the human race and how far to trust it her limit is not over a quarter of an inch it is all that a wise person will risk mrs eddy's inborn disposition to copyright everything charter everything secure the rightful and proper credit to herself for everything she does and everything she thinks she does and everything she thinks and everything she thinks she thinks or has thought or intends to think is illustrated in section five of article four defining the duties of official readers in church naming book and author the reader of science and health with key to the scriptures before commencing to read from this book shall distinctly announce its full title and give the author's name 
otherwise the congregation might get the habit of forgetting who, ostensibly, wrote the book. The Aristocracy This consists of first members and their apostolic succession. It is a close corporation, and its membership limit is one hundred. Forty will answer, but if the number fall below that, there must be an election to fill the grand quorum. This Sanhedrin can't do anything of the slightest importance, but it can talk. It can discuss, that is, it can discuss important questions relative to church members, evidently persons who are already church members. This affords it amusement, and does no harm. It can fix the salaries of the readers. Twice a year it votes on admitting candidates, that is, for church membership, but its work is cut out for it beforehand by Section 2, Article 9. Every recommendation for membership in the church shall be countersigned by a loyal student of Mrs. Eddy's, by a director of this church, or by a first member. All these three classes of beings are the personal property of Mrs. Eddy. She has absolute control of the elections. Also, it must transact any church business that may properly come before it. Properly is a thoughtful word. No important business can come before it. The bylaws have attended to that. No important business goes before anyone for the final word except Mrs. Eddy. She has looked to that. The Sanhedrin votes on candidates for admission to its own body. But is its vote worth any more than mine would be? No, it isn't. Section 4 of Article 5, Election of First Members, makes this quite plain. Before being elected, the candidates for first members shall be approved by the pastor emeritus over her own signature. Thus the Sanhedrin is the personal property of Mrs. Eddy. She owns it. It has no functions, no authority, no real existence. It is another board of shadows. Mrs. Eddy is the Sanhedrin herself. But it is time to foot up again and see where we are at. Thus far, Mrs. Eddy is the Massachusetts Metaphysical College, Pastor Emeritus, President, Board of Directors, Treasurer, Clerk, Future Board of Trustees, Proprietor of the Priesthood, Dictator of the Services, Proprietor of the Sanhedrin. She has come far, and is still on her way. Church Membership in this article there is another exhibition of a couple of the large features of Mrs. Eddy's remarkable make-up, her business talent and her knowledge of human nature. She does not beseech and implore people to join her church. She knows the human race better than that. She gravely goes through the motions of reluctantly granting admission to the applicant as a favor to him. The idea is worth untold shekels. She does not stand at the gate of the fold with welcoming arms spread and receive the lost sheep with glad emotion and set up the fatted calf and invite the neighbor and have a time. No, she looks upon him coldly. She snubs him. She says, Who are you? Who is your sponsor? Who asked you to come here? 
go away and don't come again until you are invited it is calculated to strikingly impress a person accustomed to moody and savinky and sam jones revivals accustomed to brain-turning appeals to the unknown and unendorsed sinner to come forward and enter into the joy etc just as he is accustomed to seeing him do it accustomed to seeing him pass up the aisle through sobbing seas of welcome and love and congratulation and arrive at the mourner's bench and be received like a long-lost government bond no there is nothing of that kind in mrs eddy's system she knows that if you wish to confer upon a human being something which he is not sure he wants the best way is to make it apparently difficult for him to get it then he is no son of adam if that apple does not assume an interest in his eyes which it lacked before in time this interest can grow into desire mrs eddy knows that when you cannot get a man to try free of cost a new and effective remedy for a disease he is afflicted with you can generally sell it to him if you will put a price upon it which he cannot afford Note, i offered to cure of his passion gratis a victim of the drinking habit by a simple and as it seemed to me not difficult intellectual method which i had successfully tried upon the tobacco habit i failed to get him interested i think my proposition couldn't rouse him couldn't strongly appeal to him could not electrify him because it offered a thing so easy to get and which could be had for nothing within a month afterwards a famous drink cure opened and at my suggestion he willingly went there at once and got himself temporarily cured of his habit because he had to pay one hundred and fifty dollars one values a thing when one can't afford it m t when in the beginning she taught christian science gratis for good reasons pupils were few and reluctant and required persuasion it was when she raised the limit to three hundred dollars for a dollar's worth that she could not find standing room for the invasion of pupils that followed with fine astuteness she goes through the motions of making it difficult to get membership in her church there is a twofold value in this system it gives membership a high value in the eyes of the applicant and at the same time the requirements exacted enable mrs eddy to keep him out if she has doubts about his value to her a word further as to applications for membership applications of students of the metaphysical college must be signed by the board of directors that is safe mrs eddy is proprietor of that board children of twelve may be admitted if invited by one of mrs eddy's loyal students or by a first member or by a director these sponsors are the property of mrs eddy therefore her church is safeguarded from the intrusion of undesirable children other students applicants who have not studied with mrs eddy can get in only by invitation and recommendation from students of mrs eddy or from members of the mother church other paragraphs explain how two or three other varieties of applicants are to be challenged and obstructed and tell us 
who is authorized to invite them, recommend them, endorse them, and all that. The safeguards are definite, and would seem to be sufficiently strenuous, to Mr. Sam Jones at any rate. Not for Mrs. Eddy. She adds this clincher. The candidates shall be elected by a majority vote of the first members present. That is the aristocracy, the aborigines, the Sanhedrin. It is Mrs. Eddy's property. She herself is the Sanhedrin. No one can get into the church if she wishes to keep him out. This veto power could some time or other have a large value for her. Therefore she was wise to reserve it. It is likely that it is not frequently used. It is also probable that the difficulties attendant upon getting admission to membership have instituted more to invite than to deter, more to enhance the value of membership and make people long for it than to make it really difficult to get. I think so, because the Mother Church has many thousands of members more than its building can accommodate. And some English required. Mrs. Eddy is very particular as regards one detail, curiously so for her, all things considered. The church readers must be good English scholars. They must be thorough English scholars. She is thus sensitive about the English of her subordinates for cause, possibly. In her chapter defining the duties of the clerk, there is an indication that she harbors resentful memories of an occasion when the hazy quality of her own English made unforeseen and mortifying trouble. Understanding Communications, Section 2. If the clerk of this church shall receive a communication from the pastor emeritus, which he does not fully understand, he shall inform her of this fact before presenting it to the church, and obtain a clear understanding of the matter, then act in accordance therewith. She would have waited to calm down then, but instead she added this, which lacks sugar. Failing to adhere to this by-law, the clerk must resign. I wish I could see that communication that broke the camel's back. It was probably the one beginning, What plague spot or bacilli were gnawing at the heart of this metropolis and bringing it on bended knee? and I think it likely that the kindly disposed clerk tried to translate it into English and lost his mind and had to go to the hospital. That by-law was not the offspring of a forecast, an intuition. It was certainly born of a sorrowful experience. Its temper gives the fact away. The little book of by-laws has manifestly been tinkered by one of Mrs. Eddy's thorough English scholars, for in the majority of cases its meanings are clear. The book is not even marred by Mrs. Eddy's peculiar specialty, lumbering clumsiness of speech. I believe the salaried polisher has weeded them all out, but one. In one place, after referring to science and health, Mrs. Eddy goes on to say, The Bible and the above-named book with other works by the same author, etc., it is an unfortunate sentence, for it could mislead a hasty or careless reader for a moment. Mrs. Eddy framed it. It is her very own. It bears her trademark. The Bible and Science and Health 
with other works by the same author, could have come from no literary vacuum but the one which produced the remark in the autobiography, I remember reading, in my childhood, certain manuscripts containing scriptural sonnets, besides other verses and enigmas. We know what she means, in both instances, but a low-priced clerk would not necessarily know, and on a salary like his he could quite excusably aver that the pastor emeritus had commanded him to come and make proclamation that she was author of the Bible, and that she was thinking of discharging some scriptural sonnets and other enigmas upon the congregation. It could lose him his place, but it would not be fair if it happened before the edict about understanding communications was promulgated. Readers again. The bylaw book makes a showy pretense of orderliness and system, but it is only a pretense. I will not go so far as to say it is a harem-scarum jumble, for it is not that, but I think it fair to say it is at least jumbulacious in places. For instance, Articles 3 and 4 set forth in much detail the qualifications and duties of readers. She then skips some thirty pages and takes up the subject again. It looks like slovenliness, but it may be only art. The belated by-law has a sufficiently quiet look, but it has a ton of dynamite in it. It makes all the Christian Science Church readers on the globe the personal chattels of Mrs. Eddy. Whenever she chooses, she can stretch her long arm around the world's fat belly and flirt a reader out of his pulpit, though he be tucked away in seeming safety and obscurity in a lost village in the middle of China. In any church, section two, the pastor emeritus of the mother church shall have the right, through a letter addressed to the individual and church of which he is the reader, to remove a reader from this office in any church of Christ scientist, both in America and in foreign nations, or to appoint the reader to fill any office belonging to the Christian science denomination. She does not have to prefer charges against him. She does not have to find him lazy, careless, incompetent, untidy, ill-mannered, unholy, dishonest. She does not have to discover a fault of any kind in him. She does not have to tell him nor his congregation why she dismisses and disgraces him and insults his meek flock. She does not have to explain to his family why she takes the bread out of their mouths and turns them out of doors, homeless and ashamed in a strange land. She does not have to do anything but send a letter and say, Pack, and ask no questions. Has the Pope this power? The other Pope, uh, the, the one in Rome. Has he anything approaching it? Can he turn a priest out of his pulpit and strip him of his office and his livelihood just upon a whim, a caprice, and meanwhile furnishing no reasons to the parish? Not in America, and not elsewhere, we may believe. It is odd and strange to see intelligent and educated people among us worshipping this self-seeking and remorseless tyrant as a god. This worship is denied by persons who are themselves worshippers of Mrs. Eddy, 
I feel quite sure that it is a worship which will continue during the ages. That Mrs. Eddy wrote that amazing bylaw with her own hand we have much better evidence than her word. We have her English. It is there. It cannot be imitated. She ought never to go to the expense of copywriting her verbal discharges. When any one tries to claim them, she should call me. I can always tell them from any other literary apprentices at a glance. It was like her to call America a nation. She would call a sandbar a nation if it should fall into a sentence in which she was speaking of peoples, for she would not know how to untangle it and get it out and classify it by itself. And the closing arrangement of that by-law is in true Edisonian form, too. In it she reserves authority to make a reader fill any office connected with a science church, sexton, gravedigger, advertising agent, annex polisher, leader of the choir, president, director, treasurer, clerk, etc. She did not mean that. She already possessed that authority. She meant to clothe herself with power, despotic and unchallengeable, to appoint all science readers to their offices, both at home and abroad. The phrase, or to appoint, is another miscarriage of intention. She did not mean or, she meant and. That by-law puts into Mrs. Hetty's hands absolute command over the most formidable force and influence existent in the Christian science kingdom outside of herself, and it does this unconditionally and, by auxiliary force of laws already quoted, irrevocably. Still she is not quite satisfied. Something might happen, she doesn't know what. Therefore she drives in one more nail to make sure, and drives it deep. This by-law can neither be amended nor annulled except by consent by the pastor emeritus. Let someone with a wild and delirious fancy try and see if he can imagine her furnishing that consent. Monopoly of Spiritual Bread Very properly, the first qualification for membership in the Mother Church is belief in the doctrines of Christian science. But these doctrines must not be gathered from secondary sources. There is but one recognized source. The candidate must be a believer in the doctrines of Christian science according to the platform and teaching contained in the Christian Science textbook Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Rev. Mary Baker G. Eddy. That is definite and is final. There are to be no commentaries, no labored volumes of exposition and explanation by anybody except Mrs. Eddy because such things could sow error, create warring opinions, split the religion into sects, and disastrously cripple its power. Mrs. Eddy will do the whole of the explaining, herself has done it, in fact. She has written several books. They are to be had, for cash in advance. They are all sacred. Additions to them can never be needed and will never be permitted. They tell the candidate how to instruct himself, how to teach others, how to do all things comprised in the business, and they close the door against all would-be competitors, 
and monopolize the trade. The Bible and the above-named book, Science and Health, with other works by the same author, must be his only textbooks for the commerce. He cannot forage outside. Mrs. Eddy's words are to be the sole elucidators of the Bible and Science and Health forever. Throughout the ages, whenever there is doubt as to the meaning of a passage in either of these books, the inquirer will not dream of trying to explain it to himself. He would shudder at the thought of such temerity, such profanity. He would be hailed to the Inquisition and thence to the public square and the stake, if he should be caught studying into text meanings on his own hook, he will be prudent and seek the meanings at the only permitted source, Mrs. Eddy's commentaries. Value of this straitjacket. One must not underrate the magnificence of this long-headed idea. One must not underestimate its giant possibilities in the matter of hooping the church solidly together and keeping it so. It squelches independent inquiry, and makes such a thing impossible, profane, criminal. It authoritatively settles every dispute that can arise. It starts with finality, a point which the Roman Church has traveled towards fifteen or sixteen centuries stage by stage, and has not yet reached. The matter of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary was not authoritatively settled until the days of Pius the Ninth, yesterday, so to speak. As already noticed, the Protestants are broken up into a long array of sects, a result of disputes about the meanings of texts, disputes made unavoidable by the absence of an infallible authority to submit doubtful passages to. A week or two ago, I am writing in the middle of January, 1903, the clergy and others hereabouts had a warm dispute in the papers over this question. Did Jesus anywhere claim to be God? It seemed an easy question, but it turned out to be a hard one. It was ably and elaborately discussed by learned men of several denominations, but in the end it remained unsettled. A week ago another discussion broke out. It was over this text sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor one verdict was worded as follows when christ answered the rich young man and said for him to give to the poor all he possessed or he could not gain everlasting life he did not mean it in the literal sense my interpretation of his words is that we should part with what comes between us and christ there is no doubt that jesus believed that the rich young man thought more of his wealth than he did of his soul and such being the case it was his duty to give up the wealth every one of us knows that there is something we should give up for christ those who are true believers and followers know what they have given up and those who are not yet followers know down in their hearts what they must give up Ten clergymen of various denominations were interviewed, and nine of them agreed with that verdict. That did not settle the matter, because the tenth said the language of Jesus was so straight and definite that it explained itself. Sell all. Not a percentage. There is a most unusual feature about that dispute. The nine persons who decided alike quoted not a single authority in support of their position. 
I do not know when I have seen trained disputants do the like of that before. The nine merely furnished their own opinions, founded upon nothing at all. In the other dispute, did Jesus anywhere claim to be God? The same kind of men, trained and learned clergymen, backed up their arguments with chapter and verse. On both sides, plenty of verses. Were no reinforcing verses to be found in the present case? It looks that way. The opinion of the nine seems strange to me, for it is unsupported by authority, while there was at least constructive authority for the opposite view. It is hair-splitting differences of opinion over disputed text meanings that have divided into many sects a once united church. One may infer from some of the names in the following list that some of the differences are very slight so slight as to be not distinctly important perhaps yet they have moved groups to withdraw from communions to which they belonged and set up a sect of their own the list accompanied by various church statistics for nineteen o two compiled by rev dr h k carroll was published january eighth nineteen o three in the new york christian advocate adventists six bodies baptists thirteen bodies, Brethren, Plymouth, four bodies, Brethren, River, three bodies, Catholics, eight bodies, Catholic Apostolic, Christadelphians, Christian Connection, Christian Catholics, Dowie, Christian Missionary Association, Christian Scientists, Church of God, Winnebrunarian, Church of the New Jerusalem, Congregationalists, Disciples of Christ, Dunkards, four bodies, Evangelical, two bodies, Friends, four bodies, Friends of the Temple, German Evangelical Protestant, German Evangelical Synod, Independent Congregations, Jews, two bodies, Latter-day Saints, two bodies, Lutherans, twenty-two bodies, Mennonites, twelve bodies, Methodists, seventeen bodies, Moravians, Presbyterians, twelve bodies, Protestant Episcopal, two bodies, Reformed, three bodies, Schwenkfeldians, Social Brethren, Spiritualists, Swedish Evangelical, Ms. Covenant, Waldenstromians, Unitarians, United Brethren, two bodies, Universalists, total of sects and splits, a hundred and thirty-nine. In the present month, February, Mr. E. I. Lind, A.M., has communicated to the Boston Transcript a hopeful article on the solution of the problem of the divided church. Divided is not too violent a term. Subdivided could have been permitted if he had thought of it. He came near thinking of it, for he mentions some of the subdivisions himself, the twelve kinds of Presbyterians, the seventeen kinds of Methodists, the thirteen kinds of Baptists, etc. He overlooked the twelve kinds of Mennonites and the twenty-two kinds of Lutherans, but they are in Reverend Mr. Carroll's list. Altogether, seventy-six splits under five flags. The Literary Digest, February 14th, is pleased with Mr. Lynn's optimistic article, and also with the signs of the times, and perceives that 
the idea of church unity is in the air now then is not mrs eddy profoundly wise in forbidding for all time all explanations of her religion except such as she shall let on to be her own i think so i think there can be no doubt of it in a way they will be her own for no matter which member of her clerical staff shall furnish the explanations not a line of them will she ever allow to be printed until she shall have approved it accepted it copyrighted it cabbaged it we may depend on that with a four ace confidence the new infallibility all in proper time mrs eddy's factory will take hold of that commandment and explain it for good and all it may be that one member of the shift will vote that the word all means all it may be that ten members of the shift will vote that all means only a percentage but it is mrs eddy not the eleven who will do the deciding and if she says it is percentage then percentage it is forevermore and that is what i am expecting for she doesn't sell all herself nor any considerable part of it and as regards the poor she doesn't declare any dividend but if she says all means all then all it is to the end of time and no follower of hers will ever be allowed to reconstruct that text or shrink it or inflate it or meddle with it in any way at all even today right here in the beginning she is the sole person who in the matter of christian science exegesis is privileged to exploit the spiral twist note that is a technicality that phrase i got it of a an uncle of mine he had once studied in a theological cemetery he said and he called the department of biblical exegesis the spiral twist for short he said it was always difficult to drive a straight text through an unaccommodating cork but that if you twisted it it would go he had kept bar in his less poetical days m t the christian world has two infallibles now of equal power for the present only when leo the thirteenth passes to his rest another infallible will ascend his throne note it has since happened m t others and yet others and still others will follow him and be as infallible as he and decide questions of doctrine as long as they may come up all down the far future but mary baker g eddy is the only infallible that will ever occupy the science throne many a science pope will succeed her but she has closed their mouths they will repeat and reverently praise and adore her infallibilities but venture none themselves in her grave she will still outrank all other popes be they of what church they may she will hold the supremest of earthly titles the infallible with a capital t many in the world's history have had a hunger for such nuggets and slices of power as they might reasonably hope to grab out of an empire's or a religion's assets 
but mrs eddy is the only person alive or dead who has ever struck for the whole of them for small things she has the eye of a microscope for large ones the eye of a telescope and whatever she sees she wants wants it all the sacred poems when mrs eddy's sacred revelations that is the language of the bylaws are read in public their authorship must be named the bylaws twice command this therefore we mention it twice to be fair but it is also commanded that when a member publicly quotes from the poems of our pastor emeritus the authorship shall be named for these are sacred too there are kindly people who may suspect a hidden generosity in that by-law they may think it is there to protect the official reader from the suspicion of having written the poems himself such do not know mrs eddy she does an inordinate deal of protecting but in no distinctly named and specified case in her history has number two been the object of it instances have been claimed but they have failed of proof and even of plausibility members shall also instruct their students to look out and advertise the authorship when they read those poems and things not on mrs eddy's account but for the good of our cause the church edifice one mrs eddy gave the land it was not of much value at the time but it is very valuable now two her people built the mother church edifice on it at a cost of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars three then they gave the whole property to her four then she gave it to the board of directors she is the board of directors she took it out of one pocket and put it in the other five section ten of the deed whenever said directors shall determine that it is inexpedient to maintain preaching reading or speaking in said church in accordance with the terms of this deed they are authorized and required to reconvey forthwith said lot of land with the building thereon to mary baker g eddy her heirs and assigns forever by a proper deed of conveyance she is never careless never slipshod about a matter of business owning the property through her board of waxworks was safe enough still it was sound business to set another grip on it to cover accidents and she did it her barkers what a curious name i wonder if it is copyrighted her barkers persistently advertised to the public her generosity in giving away a piece of land which cost her a trifle and a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar church which cost her nothing and they can hardly speak of the unselfishness of it without breaking down and crying yet they know she gave nothing away and never intended to however such is the human race often it does seem such a pity that noah and his party did not miss the boat some of the hostiles think that mrs eddy's idea in protecting this property in the interest of her heirs and in accumulating a great money fortune is that she may leave her natural heirs well provided for when she goes 
I think it is a mistake. I think she is of late years giving herself large concern about only one interest, her power and glory, and the perpetuation and worship of her name, with a capital N. Her church is her pet heir, and I think it will get her wealth. It is the torch which is to light the world and the ages with her glory. I think she once prized money for the ease and comfort it could bring, the showy vanities it could furnish, and the social promotion it could command, for we have seen that she was born into the world with little ways and instincts and inspirations and affectations that are duplicates of our own. I do not think her money passion has ever diminished in ferocity. I do not think that she has ever allowed a dollar that had no friends to get by her alive. But I think her reason for wanting it has changed. I think she wants it now to increase and establish and perpetuate her power and glory with, not to add to her comforts and luxuries, not to furnish paint and fuss and feathers for vain display. I think her ambitions have soared away above the fuss and feather stage. She still likes the little shows and vanities, a fact which she exposed in a public utterance two or three days ago when she was not noticing note this is a reference to her public note of january seventeenth see appendix m t but i think she does not place a large value upon them now she could build a mighty and far-shining brass-mounted palace if she wanted to but she does not do it she would have had that kind of an ambition in the early scrabbling times she could go to england today and be worshipped by earls and get a comet's attention from the million if she cared for such things she would have gone in the early scrabbling days for much less than an earl and been vain of it and glad to show off before the remains of the scotch kin but those things are very small to her now next to invisible observed through the cloud rack from the dizzy summit where she perches in these great days she does not want that church property for herself. It is worth but a quarter of a million, a sum she could call in from her far-spread flocks to-morrow with a lift of her hand. Not a squeeze of it, just a lift. It would come without a murmur, come gratefully, come gladly. And if her glory stood in more need of the money in Boston than it does where her flocks are propagating it, she would lift the hand, I think. She is still reaching for the dollar, she will continue to reach for it, but not that she may spend it upon herself, not that she may spend it upon charities, not that she may indemnify an early deprivation and clothe herself in a blaze of North Adam's gods, not that she may have nine breeds of pie for breakfast, as only the rich New Englander can not that she may indulge any petty material vanity or appetite that once was hers and prized and nursed but that she may apply that dollar to statelier uses and place it where it may cast the metallic sheen of her glory farthest across the receding expanses of the globe prayer a brief and good one is furnished in the book of bylaws the scientist is required to pray it every day. 
the lord's prayer amended this is not in the bylaws it is in the first chapter of science and health edition of nineteen o two i do not find it in the edition of eighteen eighty four it is probable that it had not at that time been handed down science and health's latest rendering of its spiritual sense is as follows our father mother god all harmonious adorable one thy kingdom is within us thou art ever present enable us to know as in heaven so on earth god is supreme give us grace for to-day feed the famished affections and infinite love is reflected in love and love leadeth us not into temptation but delivereth from sin disease and death for god is now and for ever all life truth and love note for the latest version see appendix m t if i thought my opinion was desired and would be properly revered i should say that in my judgment that is as good a piece of carpentering as any of those eleven commandment experts could do with the material after all their practice i notice only one doubtful place lead us not into temptation seems to me to be a very definite request and that the new rendering turns the definite request into a definite assertion i shall be glad to have that turned back to the old way and the marks of the spiral twist removed or varnished over then i shall be satisfied and will do the best i can with what is left at the same time i do feel that the shrinkage in our spiritual assets is getting serious first the commandments now the prayer i never expected to see these steady old reliable securities watered down to this and this is not the whole of it last summer the presbyterians extended the calling and election suffrage to nearly everybody entitled to salvation they did not even stop there but let out all the unbaptized american infants we had been accumulating for two hundred years and more there are some that believe they would have let the scotch ones out too if they could have done it everything is going to ruin in no long time we shall have nothing left but the love of god end of book two chapter seven part one